Seasons greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. We have a fantastic lineup for you this week on this episode. We're going to sell you the seat, but you're only going to need the edge. We've got three powerhouses of Nashville music. We've got Webb Wilder, the last of the full-grown men. Sam Madewell and I interviewed him, discussed a lot of awesome stuff he's got going on. We've got Mike Fleming of the Bluegrass Group Steel Drivers talking about his contribution to the cause. That's on the show. And last but certainly not least, we have got the country music heiress, the princess heir to the throne, Jenny Gill, talking about music. She's a former high school classmate of mine, talking about her residency at the Ryman, Christmas at the Ryman, uh, performing alongside her stepmother, Amy Grant, and father, Vince Gill, as well as a stop at 3rd and Lindsay on January 8th. So without further ado, I'll quit running my jaws and get on with the program. Here we go. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Josh Belcher. I guess for the start of these podcasts, because I mainly do interviews, I guess I should talk a little bit about myself and my week. Um, if this works and you enjoy it, drop me a line, joshbelcher at hotmail.com, or call me if you have my phone number. Let me know what you think. I'll just tell you about a couple experiences I have weekly. Uh, and uh, bear a little bit of my soul with you. So this is what we'll do. This week uh, garnered a couple of dates for Josh Belcher. I've been single for quite a time now. And at 37 years old, trying to get back into the game is kind of difficult. Because there's a lot of things shifting around there in the old uh, world. So anyway, go hang out with a young lady who I've hung out with a couple of times that I kind of teetered off with from talking to because she uh, was like, well, it's come down between you and another guy. And being the person I am, I'm nobody's sloppity seconds. I'm nobody's backup quarterback. So I told her in my own way that uh, I'm going to shift away from that for her to enjoy the pleasure of her new gentleman. So, with that being said, I um, told her to kind of go leeway. So, she hits me up at random and asks me to come over and hang out. She wants to try to get to know me and try to have a run with me. So, I get up and go, and we have a discussion, and I said, why the change of plans? And she told me very openly and honestly that uh, she had a little rendezvous with this gentleman. And uh, for lack of better words, uh, a hit and quit session. And she decided that since he uh, was going to be like that, she wanted to give me an opportunity. Uh, I respectfully declined because that's uh, a little much for me. Uh, some of you might say, well, you know, but I don't, you know, I don't follow the leader if you catch my drift. Uh, nor do I like discussing uh, sexual prowess or adventures uh, with potential mates of mine uh, that they have with other partners. And uh, the second date, uh, I went out with a young lady that I've known my whole life since kindergarten. We went to school together up until middle school when I left to go uh, to greener pastures at a different high school. She found me on the old Facebook. We get to talking. And, you know, just nostalgia, memories, everything, running wild, we decided to get together. A really exciting session, Uh, had a good date, but um, I just didn't feel the, you know, the uh, flow of, hey, I could see myself with her, a great gal, sweet person, Um, but uh, just at the end would not be 
a fit, I think, for both ends. So I told her that I love her because I do and, and I appreciate the time and I wanted her in my life as my friend, but didn't think I could date her. Uh, with that being said, I, uh, without sounding sappy or mopey, just being honest, uh, not uh, depressed about it, but I am beginning to think that I am not going to find anyone because <laughs> I've been on several dates in recent months and it's all bipolar of what I'm accustomed to or what I would like to be with. So I don't know what's going on. But anyway, that's a little bit of my soul this week. I uh, just wanted to talk about what I had going on. And Christmas is almost here. Happy holidays to everybody, whatever you celebrate. Um, I'm spending money buying things, and it's, uh, it's an interesting time. So let's get on with the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast. Here we go. First up on this week's podcast, the last of the full-grown men, Nashville rock and roller Webb Wilder. Uh, talked with Sam Madewell and I discussing a new album he's got coming out in early 2020, his touring schedule, and possibly we're going to try to get him down to our hometown of Columbia, Tennessee to perform at Variety Records. Here we go, Webb Wilder. We have the king of Nashville, in yeah. my opinion. Uh, and the busiest man, I said, and that is Webb Wilder. How are you doing on this Friday uh, afternoon, our friend? I'm doing pretty good, Josh. How are you? Uh, we're doing great now that we've got you on the phone with us. Um, we were looking up your itinerary. We saw you got a lot of shows. you got some coming up locally. Uh, where all are you going to be here uh, coming up? Well, um, I'll be in Knoxville, Tennessee um, at, a, at a what I understand is kind of an almost historic, venerable venue called the Corner Lounge tomorrow night. Uh, solo acoustic, and then uh, my next show is right after Christmas at a fantastic sort of Americana uh, listening room in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called the Red Dragon. Uh, it's a place where – it's one of these places where you wouldn't believe – it's so small and humble, you wouldn't believe some of the truly famous people that play there. I'm not talking about myself. But it was recently <laughs> voted maybe like the best listening room in America or something crazy by by Newsweek. So wow. uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be the 27th of December. And cool. then I think it's the uh, – gosh, let's see. I've got two different calendars here because we're headed into a new year. I'll be uh, with my trio in the uh, in Johnson City, Tennessee in early January. That's uh, the 4th. And then the four-piece version of our band will be at the legendary Fitzgerald's in Chicago on the 11th of January. And right. on the seventeenth, I'll be at the Thirty Eighth Songwriter Festival in Florida. So yeah, lots of stuff. Yep, you're everywhere. Um, you uh, what about? Is there something coming up at Third and Lindsley called Mary Aqua Velvet? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just a guest on that, but I'm very much looking forward to doing it. That's next week, and that's a great venue, of course, and a great yeah. band. And uh, I'll sing a couple of Christmas songs. That's yeah. That was that was what my uh, time was going to be. Uh, you know, I've, I've known you for your, you know, your Americana rock and, and, and your uh, versions of that, but have you ever done a Christmas album or recorded any Christmas music? No, and I wish I'd done it a long time ago because, you know, if my advice to anybody starting out is just go ahead and do your Christmas album <laughs> early in your career, and maybe you can sell it for the rest of your career. And I keep thinking, oh, it's too late, you know, but I'd be open to doing one. Nick Lowe did a really good one a few years ago, and J.D. McPherson did a really good one last year, and Rodney Crowell. Uh, there are quite a few of them. Um, 
you know, to be br- blunt, I mean, if if labels would come to me and say, here's some money, do this or that, I'd say, yeah, there's my <laughs> blues album, there's my Christmas album, thank you very much for your respect, I've only been doing this 30 or 40 years. Yeah, right So on. yeah, it's a different world, it's tough to swing all that stuff sometimes. Yeah, I understand. So Webb, you got any new music coming out soon in 2020? I do, right. I do, and... um it's gonna. I don't know. I don't have a release date. Everybody's giving me grief for not giving them the liner notes. You know, I thought my job was done when I made the damn album, but uh, <laughs> it's never over. You know, it's never over. So, and if you don't oversee it, you're the guy that's grumpy about it, and they say, "Well, we asked you. Why didn't you help?" You know. So, um, yeah, we got to do that. So I'm very excited. It's done. It's um, we're we're mastering now, and we're picky about that. So we've been um, wearing out those people with our pickiness, and uh, it'll be real good because of all that. And so, yeah, it'll be called Night Without Love, which is nice. the title cut, which is a song I've wanted to do for, God, I'm frightened to say how many years, 38 <laughs> or something, really? you know. <laughs> it's an old Bobby Field song. I, you know, Bobby Field and I are both born and raised in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and he was a big part of what I did for a long time, we worked together, and even though we don't work together now, he's still a big part of what I do because it's just such a uh, indelible thing. Right. And uh, so he wrote this song a long time ago, and it's never been recorded by anyone. And um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. Man, I can't wait to hear it. That sounds groovy. Well, coming uh, from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, you know, one of my questions was going to be, uh, you know, just some of your musical influences, and I bet I can take a few guesses who, but is there any notable ones that just – always stick out to you that just mean the most to you that's kept you going and kept you creative creativity going all these years yeah a lot of a lot of the people that that are like that in my mind you wouldn't necessarily hear uh their influence right. in my music because i don't have the voice or the chops or whatever of some of those people but nonetheless they inspired me and influenced me and um you know it's just a long long list and, and i always hate leaving people out you know but i mean sure. i can I can vaguely, some of the earliest music I can vaguely remember hearing to the point where I'm not sure I really heard it, you know, but I think, (laughs) I think, you know, I was born in 1954, and so I think around 58, I might have heard Maybe Baby by Buddy Holly on the radio. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I wouldn't swear to it. Yeah. But um, I was in the fourth grade when the Beatles thing happened, and I was the only kid in my class who was already a snob and had records and opinions. <laughs> a Beatles snob. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. So, so the uncool people and the cool people like the Beatles. So I'm looking at the uncool people, thinking, "Y'all never liked anything cool before. I don't know if I like this or not." You know. Right. But right. that there's an example of universal appeal. They yeah. set the bar pretty high. But but I already had. Um, Rick Nelson's Million Sellers album, and I had an Elvis Presley movie soundtrack album. I didn't know the movies were bad. And um, I had ordered them from Sears. You could order records from Sears back then. Oh, really? Yeah. Sears Robo? Oh, yeah, the catalog, yeah. Yeah, LPs, vinyl, you know, albums. And uh, <laughs> and I had a few singles, you know. And then just as time went on, you know, I, I got hip to the other British groups and everything. And uh and then later I started, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. I wonder if people do it as much now. And I know there, there are a lot of young people who know more about old music than I do, and I think it's a wonderful right. thing. But, you know, um, so, you know, you read an interview with Pete Townsend and find out he liked Mose Allison and Eddie Cochran. So you go, well, who are they? And you go yeah. listen to their records. Yeah. Then you get get your yayas out by the Rolling Stones and switch from bass to guitar. And you go, oh, yeah, this stuff is all Chuck Berry, isn't it? And you start listening to that, you know, and. 
one thing leads to another. And uh, one of the big, and, and of course, to this day, I'm still talking about it. I saw the faces in 71, and not a mm-hmm. week goes by that I don't rave yep. to somebody about how that changed my life. That's awesome. You remember that from, I mean, it stuck with you from 71 to now. That must have been an awesome performance. It was magical. And I saw the Stones in 72, which is practically as good as it gets. Exile was the new album. Mick Taylor was still in the band. Stevie Wonder opened, you know. (laughs) That's amazing. But the Uh, faces blew me away, and I got to know, uh, as many people did, he was very accessible. I got to know Ian McClagan, and uh, one reason I guess I bring this up is uh, the anniversary of his death was this week, and a lot of people were observing him Mm -hmm. and what a wonderful guy he was, uh, so he's kind of on my mind. Um, Well, also, uh, I've read also about you had family members, your aunt, who had a record label, and... uh, Knowing how crazy that kind of business could be, have you ever thought about getting into that once any kind of music slows down or anything like that? Have you ever thought about trying to do start your own label and kind no, of No, we own? believe it or not, we started out doing that and then and got it away from it. Um if you go back to like nineteen eighty six, we had signed um a production deal with uh, a guy who is our friend to this day and was a great song is a great songwriter, but he he was a business minded guy too. And we had signed a production deal with him, him and his wife, a guy named Dan and well Dan and Adele Tyler are the, is the couple. And uh, so we had um, done some studio recordings and we did what was really then kind of a state of the art live recording at the Exit Inn, and we're still releasing stuff from that night. We must have played. Cool. A million songs, but <laughs> there was a the, you know a great recording truck outside, two inch tape, you know, and all oh, that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we we put that album. It came from Nashville, which still sells to this day. We we put it out on our own label called Racket, and uh, there were fifteen hundred vinyl copies. And uh, so if anyone owns one of the Racket label, it came from Nashville's. You own one of fifteen hundred records, and oh, cool. wow. we'd go to the pressing plant, pick them up, consign them to the local record store. They'd sell out. They'd call us up, and so we'd make all the money, you know. Yeah. And uh, but we wanted we wanted wider distribution and wider uh, recognition, and so we, uh, with Dan's help, when blessing we leased it to um, a french label and they kept selling it over there and then we leased it to landslide records where it is today and i I, landslide i kind of started out there and then i went to island records and then a bmg label called zoo and then an austin label called uh, watermelon and then (laughs) um you know i was back to landslide and then blind pig and landslide again and now the watermelon albums are back in print on new west and uh, so I really have a special place in my heart for Landslide Records because they're sort of there for me when no one else maybe is, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question that popped up in my mind talking about all these records. I know sometimes you make uh, – Sam and I reside in Columbia, Tennessee. You make appearances out here because I've seen people that were so pumped to take their picture with you. But have you been to Variety Records? We have our own little record store where they're where they're doing a lot of cool stuff like performances. Have you ever come in there and done anything, or would you? Oh, I'd certainly be open to it. Um, what is the name of the record store? It's called Variety. It's right on the square in Columbia. And uh, it was the record store from the 50s and 60s, closed down, and now Scott Holt is really reviving it and uh, doing a lot of awesome stuff in there. Well, that's very cool. I think that's something to bear in mind, and feel free to remind – you've got my email. Remind me or Nancy about that when we get the new record. Uh-huh. And, uh, it might be more worth our while just to do the record store thing and come home because – 
I love the Puckett's people, and we do – Tom and I, my bass player, will play as a duo, sometimes at the Puckett's in Franklin. But we've never done that well in the other Puckett's, you know. I, I don't yeah. think people are aware that we're there, and they, you know, they're just yeah. – time yeah. to have dinner yeah. and leave. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, well, I yeah. think when we played Puckett's, I poked my head in the door there. Surely, it's right down the street, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It um, uh, we had a guy – I don't know if it was in Franklin or whatever, but he, uh, he – we uh, – Sam and I work at Planet Fitness as well, other than podcasting. And he came in and had a picture with you. He was so pumped about it. And I couldn't remember if he said Franklin or here. But either way, I was like, you got to meet Webb Wilder. He was walking downtown somewhere. And he was like, yeah. And he just took a picture with us. And he was the coolest guy ever, which is true. Every time I've uh, ever been in your presence or seen you interview or something, you just seem like you're uh, very approachable. And that means a lot to a couple of guys like us that really enjoy your music. Well, it's great to know. I appreciate you saying all that, and it's great to know you do enjoy the music. I've I've often told people that, from my point of view, making these records, especially um, doing the gigs too, but making the records is kind of like and releasing them is kind of like putting a message in a bottle and tossing it in the ocean and wondering who gets mm. it. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Until um, somebody tells you, you don't know who. You know, I always kid yeah. people and I say I'm loved by dozens. You know. <laughs> Hey, hey, a good cult following is better than a mainstream one any day, in my opinion. Well, you know, I used to kind of wonder if people were just saying this when I was kind of on the other side of the glass, if you will, and I'd see, and I still see artists say their fans are the most important people to them, but they're really not kidding. I mean, if you don't have an audience, where are you at? You know, if you don't have somebody who will, somebody who will buy the record, somebody who will come to the show, somebody who gets what you're doing, it's pretty grim, you know, so I'm, I really do appreciate uh, loyal fans, and it's always great to turn somebody else on to it, and, you know, occasionally that happens, and, you know, if you think about it, okay, Bruce Springsteen, he couldn't possibly be a bigger artist. Well, I've never heard him live, so and I read an interview with him one time when he said he always thinks when he does a show that he's going to be playing to somebody who's never heard him before, and that's that's true, you know, yeah, yeah. of anybody. Yeah, um, well, the way I look at it, I'm a native Middle Tennessean, which is pretty rare. And for me, if I meet anybody that says, you know, they're moving here or, they're, you know, they just got here, i I, I got to turn them on to you because they can't really have a rite of passage till they experience Webb Wilder. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to tie in, too, because um, your voice, you've got the voice for it. I know you do a, a radio program called The List. I wanted to go into detail with that. But yeah. do you podcast? Do you podcast or have you thought about podcasting? Great voice I've thought about it, but I'm really, um, and I may get around to that. I just, um, I'm sort of a technophobe. I, I, I'd need help if I did it. Really, yeah, I'd need yeah. like an engineer or something. And um, I'm doing the radio show, and of course, it's um, you can listen live online anywhere in the world. If you're in Middle Tennessee, you can. It's got a pretty good terrestrial range. You can hear hear it on 89.5, and then there actually are other points on the dial, depending who you where you are, that I don't have memorized, but. And then they have a thing at WMOT.org called Roots Radio Replays. So you can hear, you know, probably the two most recent ones there. The podcast thing, um, I'm, I'm actually just getting my head around it. I, I think it's a little speculative, quite honestly, though. I think if you have enough confidence in yourself and enough time, you can do it to the point where you might eventually <clears throat> make some money out of it. But I know that <clears throat> some of the people who have, Popular ones have yet to monetize anything from it, and it's not all about money, but uh -huh. it is about time. You know, if you're trying to make some money elsewhere or trying to do something else, you know, it, yeah. it's hard to get around to doing something for free. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Sam and I discussed that a lot. It, 
it's a labor of love because you know we love you love our music city and we love music uh, both being musicians and, and just fans of it but yeah it's truly um it's a full-blown hobby you know you know between working jobs and then you know spending our evenings uh you know getting to dive into awesome music with people we really admire but yeah like you said uh it isn't all about money but it, it would certainly help considering you're you know you're, you're putting a lot of your efforts into trying to uh, do a product that people will enjoy yeah well, it would be another way to reach people, and, and I would enjoy doing it. I'd probably enjoy doing it, like I say, more if I could sit. Like I do my radio show, I sit there with an engineer and uh-huh. the student, you know, and I'm on one side of the table, they're on the other, and I don't have to think about anything technical, you know, and I can just um, do what I do best, you know, which is be half prepared and half spontaneous, you know. Yeah, right on. Uh, Webb, I'm going to change the, change the gears up on you a little bit. As Josh said, uh, we are both musicians, and – we were discussing the fact that um, how you like you correct me if I'm wrong here, but you you're a Fender man mostly, but you like humbucker pickups. Is that correct? Well, that's true, and uh, I like single coil pickups too, and I've done a lot of both, and I also play Gibsons and I've played Gretsch's and sure, stuff. Sure. Um, but but I do think um, for me, particularly because I live. On my own shows, at least, 100% of the time for years, I've, I tune a half-step flat. And, okay. you know, Hendrix was a half-step flat mm-hmm. guy a lot, and Stevie Ray, and they all played yep. Fenders. Fenders have the long scale, see? Okay, yep, yep. But I have found that my Flying V, which is made like an original Flying V, not like the 70s kind, it's got the strings through the body like a telly, and even though it has the shorter scale, it hangs in there, and I, I love playing that guitar. But, yeah, so I'm I, a lot of the things I do are in between like my music is sort of in between american and right. british influenced rock and roll and so that's that's back to the humbuckers on a fender guitar and uh you know i love telecasters and i've played them in the conventional way a lot and uh and still do some and like on the open tuning songs i have a telly with a, a hot single coil bridge pickup and you know for open tuning a telecaster i mean just ask keith richards i mean it's great you know? right and uh, but my my rock has been that Telecaster with two humbucking pickups, and so I like Gibsons and I like half step flat, so I like that long scale and that stiff maple neck, you know, and all sure. the tunability. I mean, you, it's hard to beat uh, the Fenders for tunability. It is a Gibson Fender world or a Fender Gibson world, and I really do love both. But anyway, so yeah, that works great for me because you still get a lot of what you get out of a Telecaster, but you get some of that. SG, Les Paul, 335, yeah, right. what have you, stuff, too. Yeah, I, uh, one of my favorite guitar players was Albert Collins, and I, always, I remember finding out his Telecaster actually had humbuckers in it, and it always surprised me. Well, he had a humbucker in the neck, and, and, and he had a, a conventional pickup in the uh, in the bridge, and I think his had been a Telecaster Custom, the double-bound sunburst one, I guess, and it had been stripped and made clear finish, a natural finish, but I believe... If I'm not mistaken, he played with the selector switch in the middle. Okay, yeah. So he had a single coil and a humbucker, and he had a very bright tone, right? Yeah. Which is relative to how you set your amp. And um, I don't know if he used a metal finger pick. You know, Freddie King and James Burton play with play and played with a combination of a flat pick and a metal finger pick. Oh, really? But Albert had his own tuning, I believe, and he had those capos that were like covered yeah. in electrical tape and all that weird yeah. stuff. Yeah, I think he, I think he tuned to uh, mostly F or a, a, um, F chord, you know, open. So I thought that was always pretty interesting too. That's interesting, and Albert King had his own weird tuning too. <laughs> Did um, 
we've, we've, we're fortunate enough that when Gibson puts on shindigs here, they let us come and, like, interview people and kind of bask in all that. But it seems like they're doing a lot of signature guitars here lately. Have they approached you about your own guitar? They've not. They've been good to me. Fender's been good to me. And, um, you know, I have I have a J200 that I I used last night on this WMOT live solo yeah. thing. I'll be using it tomorrow night in Knoxville. I have a Martin. When I fly, it's smaller. It's an OM, you know. And, and, and so, I mean, I love all the classic stuff. You know, like yeah. I say, I had Gretsch's. The only thing about Gretsch for me that doesn't work out too great, and I regret it because I really dig filtertrons and everything, but... When you tune a half step flat, even if you have the long scale on a on a Gretsch with a Bigsby, especially the Bigs, most of the Gretches have the Bigsby that doesn't have the roller bar. Yeah. And there's not much brake angle on the bridge, and when you slack the tension off and go half step flat, it's pretty flappy. Yep. Yep. That's too awesome. Um. Uh. Do you have anything else to add? I had one more question for you. Go right ahead, sir. All right. I, one more question. Like I said, thank you so much, and and we're gonna we're gonna catch a show. We're gonna try our best. To merge you with variety because I think it'd be cool to have you here in our backyard yeah, we'll pack and, and just yeah pack you out. Um, we were talking about we, I discovered something the other day watching Food Network that was tied into Mississippi called the Slug Burger. It looks delicious. Have you ever tried this or do you know anything about it? I've heard that term and I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it seems like it's a it's a Mississippi delicacy. Um, I, I don't. I'm trying to find the uh, the recipe to make one myself, but people that live there along the lines of the Delta say it's the best thing uh, ever. I didn't know if you'd ever tried one because we're going to. What try is it? It's surely not slugs. No, it's a it's a it's a meal they prepared uh, kind of like during the Depression era to kind of like spread out meat. They would put like cornmeal and and, and, oh, okay, and yeah. everything. Uh, but everybody says it's just it's just the bee's knees. Well, I think I read about that, too, somewhere. And, you know, the Delta is its own thing. And, and you know, if you think about Texas, like East Texas is nothing like West Texas. The Panhandle is its own thing. And then you get in the hill country around Austin. Then you get down on the coastal areas, and you get near the border. And all this stuff is the cultures are pretty different. And, yeah. uh, and, and Mississippi is not as big, but the Delta is its own thing. And, you know, where I'm from is South Mississippi, way down there, like 75 miles north of Biloxi. Oh, wow. That's way down there. Yeah, I hear But that. you mentioned my Aunt Lillian and Trumpet Records, and, you know, she had the whole story about going to find, leaving Jackson and going to find Sonny Boy Williamson in the Delta. That's and so uh, the men would go in these houses where they thought he was, and they would say, oh, no, I don't know where he is. And <laughs> finally Lillian said, let me go in there and talk to him. And, you know, there was a lot of racism and fear mm -hmm. back then. And so <laughs> it turns out when she did, they said, oh, yeah, he's here. He's in the back room. And <laughs> Because she That's said, "Look, I'm Lillian McMurray with Trumpet Records. I'm interested in making some records on him, you know. Yeah. And the fact that she was a woman, they figured, well, they were weren't about to lynch him or something horrible, yeah. you know. So, yeah. So they uh, they did a lot of stuff together, you know. And I think I think another thing that just happened on social media was observing his birthday. You know, he's been gone for a long time, but there was some cool footage of him playing." in Europe or something with some really good musicians, but I, they didn't say who they were. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that story was fascinating about your aunt. Um, it, I, on the way over here thinking, I, I thought that could be a really good book. You know, just that whole story. I'm sure it'd be. Well, there is a book. It's called Diamonds on Farish Street. And it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, back then and to this day, people would have one name for their studio, one name for their record label, and one name for their publishing company. 
So her label was Trumpet, her publishing company was Globe, and her recording company, just like Sam Phillips had the Phillips Recording Service, not and then Sun Records, you know. So she had the Diamond Recording Company. And the street that her record store and subsequent studio w- w- was on was Farish Street. So the name of the uh, – and there's a historic marker there in Jackson, and so the name of the book is Diamonds on Farish Street. Oh, gosh, we got to find that somewhere. <laughs> Mark uh, Ryan, so, R-Y-A-N, wrote it. With the uh, the movies uh, that you've been in, Webb, um, how do you find being a musician and an uh, uh, actor? Is that is that about the same sort of uh, – what you got to go through? I mean, you, does it make it any easier being on stage, behind a camera, that kind of thing? I guess so. You know, my acting assignments have been so infrequent. And, of course, the beauty of the Webb Wilder films was, even though it was a character, there was a lot of commonality between me and the character. So I was the perfect guy for the role, you know. Right. Um, and I find that um, with music, I've been – and, you know, I might have could have been more select, uh, successful if I'd done it a different way, but I've pretty much done what I wanted to do. You know, I've kind yeah, of play, yeah. uh, I've made the music I want to make, and I was never interested in being in just a cover top 40 kind of band, even though I've done a lot of my own choice covers and or interpretations. That's always fun, yeah. But I was never able to do that anyway. I mean, um, so acting has been different. The whole acting world is different. I think the way you come up in the acting world is you just have a passion for it, like I have for music. And you accept any role that comes your way, and you you hone your craft that way. And I don't know, I just never really went down that path, you know. I and I I think if I could be cast in the right role, there are a lot of them I could be good for. But sure. I didn't ever really lay the groundwork to have the profile level to command the attention from the film industry for that, you know, and like mm-hmm. Ben Johnson, you know, he's a great cowboy actor. Well, he was a real cowboy. Right. <laughs> one reason right. He, he's one of he's maybe the only guy who won, you know, a, like a world champion rodeo uh title and an academy award, you know. Well, so it's easy to call him a natural, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I think I would be pretty good in certain kinds of roles and and not and just mediocre to poor in others. But I do have an agent. I go to auditions sometimes. But, you know, I was in one major motion picture, and that was in about 91, and I I thought, hey, man, my first major motion picture. Well, it was my last. <laughs> so there you go. Never say never. I ain't dead yet, but we'll see. That's right. That's right. Next up on the podcast, we have Mike Fleming, upright bass player of the bluegrass supergroup The Steel Drivers. He discussed with Sam and I, touring schedule, brand new album they've got coming out in February, and a couple experiences the band had with comedian and legend Bill Murray. A lot of fun stuff in this interview, and that's all coming up next on Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Really awesome. I'm very excited. Sam Madewell. How are you doing there, Mike? Alongside myself, uh, Mike Fleming. Yep. The uh, upright bass player of the Steel Drivers, the, the uh, band that's keeping bluegrass cool, keeping it alive, <laughs> keeping the heartbeat in it. Um, thanks for speaking with us. How's everything going? It's going great. You know, tis the season, so they say. So that's right. Uh, yeah, tis the season to to let go of some dollars, I guess, too. But yeah, <laughs> it's going pretty good. <laughs> that, that's always seems how it goes. Well, well, we'll get right to the uh, the, the meat, the steak, and potatoes of it. 
All right. Yeah, got a new album coming out February 7th, Bad For You. Cannot wait to hear it. Uh, the one you did in Muscle Shoals literally blew my world away. Uh, wore it out, had to get a different CD because I wore a hole in the first one, if you believe somebody could do that. <laughs> um, Love it. <laughs> yeah. tell, us, tell us about this new this new album, this new collaboration. Uh, and Sam actually heard uh, some music off of it, so I'm super jealous about that. Yeah, and, uh, I, I guess you guys did the uh, the Bad For You, the uh, the new single at the show there in Lindsley, and it, it sounded like it had a really good, people just loved it, and the tears here in the new Steel Driver song, you know, it made a lot of people happy, so. Well, great, yeah. Um, Sam, were you there on uh, Saturday or Sunday? I was there on Saturday night, sold out show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, good. We did a few, we did a few songs, uh or three or four, but uh, yeah, the title track that for you. Uh, actually, I think uh, it's uh, it's on YouTube, I believe. There's some way to listen to it already, uh, mm-hmm. so people can get a little taste of it. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so excited about it. We have uh, we have a new lead singer, a young man out of Berea, Kentucky, and Sam can probably attest, uh, especially when he sings that "Bad for You" song. It's it's pretty mighty. He he, tore, he tore it up, man. He he was, he was really good. Yeah, he has got a big big gravelly voice, and uh, we're excited. He uh, he fits the steel driver cloth, which is a lead singer with a big voice who's never played bluegrass before. Oh, and boy. that's who we've always had, you know, with Stapleton and uh, Gary Nichols and. Uh, and now with Kelvin, he had heard a little bluegrass, but his favorite band growing up was Cinderella. Oh, yeah. wow. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now, he's playing guitar and singing as well, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's playing guitar and love his guitar picking. It's, uh, you know, he he's not a straight flat picker. He's an electric player, kind of like Gary Nichols was, yeah. and which I love, too, because it's unorthodox, you know, and that brings the that wild card that the steel drivers kind of need. Yeah. Yeah, it, it keeps it fresh, like I said, because not only does it, you know, keep the keep the more seasoned fans interested, but it, it introduces it to young because, you know, bluegrass music started with our ancestors way back when coming across the, the pond there, and, and we got to keep it going. And you guys, every album seemed to just reinvent it to keep it, you know, fresh and yeah. awesome. I mean, I've ne- I haven't listened to an album you guys have where I have to sit through a song just waiting for the other one. Everything just packs a punch. Even the slow ones just hit you right in your heart, right in the right in the right spot. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, we've always believed in having good songs. You know that uh, I think uh, Tammy, our fiddle player, said it. Uh, we serve the song, so mm-hmm. our intention is to have, you know, good songs that we rap great instrumentals around or instrumental music around and some bands sometimes i'm not going to say but some bands tend to have a song which is more uh, aimed at how their instrumentals go and things but we've always agreed have a good song and if people will go from song to song to song you can't ask for anything more than that you know which one hit me like a ton of bricks that i still enjoy even though it's uh an album ago was uh, the one about the guy that killed the lawman's son. Um, help me, help me. Let's see. Uh, Montgomery. No, no, no. Uh, I, I'm thinking of it too. The guy's name, but anyway, 
uh, you know, what have you done? You let your temper take over you. I mean, that's that's a soundtrack. That's a song for a soundtrack if I've ever heard one. Yeah, I know, I know. I wish I, I wish I could. It wasn't wasn't hadn't been for love. Is that no, the that one? was a, that's a Chris Stapleton song, right? Right, it sure was. Yeah. yeah uh, me and Sam were talking. Whatever happened to that guy? Did anything become him after he left y'all? <laughs> Can you believe that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, you know, I mean, we all all knew that he was gonna do. He was gonna break out sometime. You know, his voice that just blew me out of a chair the first time I heard him. You know, we sitting around in a circle and just picking some songs or trying to see if we could play some bluegrass to make some extra money and uh and he let go you know <laughs> i went oh please yeah. so it was uh uh it wasn't a surprise it was just you know sometimes it takes the right combination for for people to to get to somebody like him and uh but it was going to happen so uh yeah he uh just congratulations to him he has done great yeah, I mean, the, Where Rainbows Never Die is one of the greatest songs, period, in any oh. genre. The, the way it was organized, the way the, the every every instrument is played, yes. Uh, I mean, you can't touch it. Uh, just just perfect. There's, there's a song for every band where, you know, everyone has their signature, and that one just in its space and time, it just transcends music. Just fantastic. Thank you. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's still one of my, you know, most favorite. I think... Uh, you know, just the, of course the songwriting, you know, but then being able to contribute to the singing and the arrangement and everything of the whole, the whole thing. Um, I think uh, it's yeah. I you know I put it on every once in a while and I just I just amazed that just one of those songs. You're right, but thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, it just uh, I just I never it just can't be touched. It's fantastic. Um. Uh, another thing I wanted to to, uh, to add in on that, uh, you know, Sam and I, we reside in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, uh-huh. the, the 20th of February, coming to the Cherry Theater, how exciting is that for us? We're, we're more than glad to have you in our little mule town. Uh, thank you for deciding to come out here. Well, our pleasure. You know, uh, we try to play in Tennessee as much as we can. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, well, it's a state that, most of our fans, you know, a big portion of them reside. And uh, so, you know, we're lucky enough that we can play in Knoxville a little bit in Chattanooga. But when we can play in other places other and, and then other than Nashville, it's great. And plus, it'll, it'll probably be a very, you know, more intimate show. And uh, I just love that. It's just, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, while, while we were talking, uh, Brother John's the name of that song. Brother John, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. Can't remember if it was George or John, but anyway, just that's right. Lightning, lightning in a bottle. Yes, yes, yeah, it is. It's it's one of those really good songs. Uh, I know Gary, and I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure if John Paul wrote that with him too. John Paul White. He's yeah. been associated with a lot of uh, uh, our some of our songs throughout the years, and uh, and actually he has a song on this next uh on on our new record and um so we're excited about that he and tammy wrote a song john paul sang uh sang those harmonies only the way he can sing them <laughs> and uh so it's, it's nice to always have a collaboration or two but uh yeah i like that song too 
Yeah, a uh, couple heads definitely more than, better than one, especially when it's just mine. That's why I got to have Sam with me. I can't do it without him. <laughs> um, let's uh, yeah, let's speaking of, speaking from last year. Let, let's dive up. I've had the privilege of doing stand up amateurly on my end with your daughter, who is one of the most brilliant minds in comedy I've seen in forever. Does she get that from you? You know where I think she gets it from her. She got it from her grandmother, <laughs> and who. Who uh, had some of the most ribald sayings uh, I've ever heard, and I think that, uh, and then her mom a little bit too. Yeah, I, I don't have near the the sense of humor that uh, that they do, but uh, but yeah, well, thanks. She's having a good time, and and uh, she's still out in Cal- in California, so uh, yeah. she's having. A- That's great. Yeah, uh, Emily. Yeah, when I first saw her, and then. We put the time together because I ha- had her as a friend on Facebook, and she was playing your music in a bar somewhere in New York to people that otherwise would have never got to hear. And they were like, "Oh, this sounds really, really great!" And I was like, "You're kidding me? That's her dad." You know, I've been a bluegrass fan forever, and this made me think it was even more cool. But I know you got to be proud of her, you know, being the big writer that she is, and really doing it because she is blessed with the gift. I mean, she's hilarious. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of writing for the Good Mythical Morning Boys, and. Uh... And a little bit with uh, some some show about celebrities eating hot wings, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure which one that is, but uh, but yeah, she's she's holding her own, so that's good. <laughs> that's the only way to do it. But I've, to yeah. Up. Let's uh, okay. Let's let's dive into the movie stuff because we were talking about soundtracks, which is you know, Get Low to Me is one of the greatest movies ever made. You guys played you know, uh, uh, Whiskey for Breakfast, all all the songs in there that was incredible. Even had a spot in the movie. But uh-huh. what what really gets me going is you guys have tie in with Bill Murray. Now you guys actually have tales about Bill Murray. Can you share some of them with us? Well, I don't know if I've got many tales. I just uh, <laughs> I mean we met we met him on the town on the uh, set and yeah. uh, his character and uh, Lucas Black was on there too and uh, their character was to uh, to always have a flask of whiskey and I remember the first time. We we were talking with Bill. It was really cold in the morning on this set out in it's in Georgia someplace, and uh, and he goes, "Well, would you like a, some whiskey?" And and every every one of us plus Tammy opened up and had a flask on him. He <laughs> 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 looked at us and he was like, "Yeah." And uh, and then he first heard our CD. We gave a CD, and so he was just great. Uh, you know. The next day was a little warmer. He'd kind of gather up people and go, and we'd go over and, and play some music for them while they were doing whatever they were doing in this big field, getting the set ready. But I saw him, I saw him getting chairs for extras, you know, older ladies, doing. I mean, he was just all over the place helping people. <laughs> uh, just a just a great human being. And then, of course, the deal he did. Uh, we uh, we were in oh, North Carolina someplace or South Carolina. Probably South. Th- yeah, this was the story I was thinking about because he he lives in South Carolina. He he owns the baseball team there and he's always out and about. Yeah, yeah. Well, he uh, uh, he has a restaurant. Invited us to the the restaurant and uh, we all went there. And uh, it was Kelvin, who Kelvin Dammer, our, our lead singer's very first gig. And wow. so we go to the restaurant, and we're and they're they're being you know nice to us. And so Bill walks upstairs, and and he's looking around, and he's going, 
He goes, food's good here, but service is horrible. And, uh, <laughs> and all the waiters and them were laughing because, I mean, it's his place, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. But, uh, but so we have this, we do this, uh, uh, eat with them, and he finds out Kelvin's first show, and he said, don't mess up, you know. <laughs> yeah, no pressure there. No pressure there. But uh, and then he goes, then, you know, we're, I think we have like 25 tickets from a sellout or 30 tickets, and he went and bought them. He bought them all, and he stood out in, in the lobby in front of the, in front of the theater and handed to anybody need a free ticket and handed them out to people. <laughs> amazing. Awesome. Just is, amazing. Yeah, uh, in, the, in the article I read about this, and this was some months back, uh, the teller said he pulled out a wad of cash and said he'd been saving up for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like he's yeah. so good. But yeah. uh, anyway, yeah, I just want to say uh, I play drums, or, or I attempted, but – if I were to ever play bluegrass, bass is my cup of tea because it just seems like it's the backbone as far as the rhythm because you don't hear a lot of drums. In, um, right. In, it, I mean, why why was the bass so appealing to you as far as in the band? I just I always like the story of, of the upright bass player. It's always fascinated me. Okay, well, uh, started out as a guitar player in my youth, moved uh, to a banjo, then uh, moved to electric bass when uh, – came here to Nashville because there was more work playing electric bass, but got mm-hmm. an upright bass just to um, uh, to be more, try to be more versatile and more uh, boarding for people that might be looking for it. So um, part of it was uh, out of economics to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but it also has four less, or two less strings than a guitar. That's yeah. kind of appealing. And, um, <laughs> and, all the all the you know the guitar and the banjo that was all taken up when the steel driver started by people that were you know great players already so uh it uh put me on the uh, on the upright so uh that's pretty much how I landed here and uh but I love it you know and you were talking about drums and uh the uh the upright is kind of you know it's kind of like the kick drum of the day or the uh, the band, and uh, but then mandolin kind of the snare drum, and uh, so we get that punch going. Yeah, and, uh, that way. that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, and you know, you know, in our and most most bands too, like so when the mandolin starts to you know play a lead, either the banjo or the fiddle will pick up the the snare part. So. Yeah. Uh, to keep that keep that thing rolling like that, yeah, yeah. and uh, so it's a percussive, really percussive music. And a lot of times we'll we'll have a lot of people hitting on that snare part, so you don't get a lot of the mid tone kind of thing going. It's just this, and where it yep. sounds like a drum, you know. With people have said, sounds like they got drums, you know. And it's like, nope, never had a drum, but uh, it's a very percussive uh, kind of. Field driver sounds, what I call it. Yeah, that's a brilliant way to put it. I was always curious, and and, and the way you put it, it all sounds. I mean, that's just right on the money. Uh, and you know, being a person, my dad has been a bluegrass musician. I've just always known as a drummer, you know, drums uh-huh. are no no in bluegrass, and that's fine. But you know, I appreciate it for what it is. But if I were to ever get into it, uh, upright would definitely be my cup of tea, especially when you see the guy slapping it and everything in time. I always thought that was groovy. 
Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, and you know there are there are some really. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, Alison Krauss brings uh, Larry Adamanuk, uh, I think usually on drums with her, and he knows he knows how to just kind of play with brushes, and you know he adds a lot, but he knows just like what an upright bass player has to kind of know is like you don't want to uh, get noticed too much. Yeah. <laughs> in a blue yeah. dress. Yeah, not not every show, not every performance is wipeout. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. But uh, yeah. but uh, there's hope. You can you know you take a snare drum and a set of brushes and go to a bluegrass jam and just hit that mama daddy mama daddy mama daddy. People, <laughs> yeah. you, you'd be surprised. People would probably like it. Tell you the truth, as long as you're just not being too noticed. <laughs> yeah, just just enough to, to, to get a little clicking going. Um, That's right, exactly. Yeah, anyway, I want to brag on my buddy Sam here. He's a guitar smith and a mandolin player out of this world, and he's got some interesting kinds with you. He was going to kind of close it telling you some stuff, and we're going to let him Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of banjo, uh, I'm dating a lovely girl named Audrey, and her parents are Sherby and Sheila, and they're really good friends with Richard Bailey. Wow, very yeah, good. So they, they always tell me some fun stories, and they're the ones who uh, drug me out to the show. But it was just amazing seeing how everybody was just uh, the whole crowd. You could tell the whole crowd just loved every single song. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't a song that, like, nobody wasn't singing, you know. And so I just want to give them a little shout-out and tell Richard Bailey we said hi. And, uh, you know, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the people love it. And in this day and age, the type of music you guys are doing collaboratively is very well appreciated. You know, it's just a, it's it's a old thing, but it's still a breath of fresh air the way you guys do it, and that's what we need. So, well, appreciate that. Thanks, thanks a lot. I, 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 that's you're right. It is. We try to keep, we try to really keep the spirit of bluegrass and the subject matter a lot of of what you know bluegrass yeah. and mountain yeah. music is about, and uh, but. Uh, yeah, we treat it a little different. We put a little bit more of the blues in it than yep. uh, maybe. Uh, but you know, that was a lot of blues in it to be when it first kind of started. It just got homogenized a little bit. But uh, but we just uh, yeah, we don't want to. We're not trying to do anything. You know, chart a new path instrumentally and things like that. We're just trying to uh, have nice songs, people that are memorable that people can like and maybe sing along with like they do occasionally and uh, uh and have and and enjoy what we're doing and enjoy uh, it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It was really awesome this week to have on the podcast Jenny Gill, singing sensation, mom, videographer, and all-around master multitasker. Uh, she's on here talking about her residency at the Ryman. She's performing a country Christmas alongside her stepmom, Amy Grant, and her dad, Vince Gill. Talk about that, and we also discuss her solo performance with her band January 8th at 3rd and Lindsay. Uh, this was all around a great conversation and interview, and I really hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Start off with these this Christmas uh, this Christmas programs you're doing. Will you tell us a little bit about what's going on with those? Oh yeah, I'm having the time of my life. Uh, my dad, Vince Gill, and my stepmother, Amy Grant, every year they do a Christmas show at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. And it's grown and grown every year. And this year we're doing 12 shows. And they do 
Christmas classics. They do newer material, and I am one of six singers uh, backing them up in the house band, and it's literally the best gig on planet Earth. It sounds so good in that building, and everyone is in the Christmas spirit, and it's just a lot of joy. It's a lot of joy in that room, and I'm having a ball. Yeah, it's it's got to be amazing. Plus, like I said, to have a, a family so full of talent. And I know, like, you, you sing with your, your dad and stepmom. Then you have siblings. Are they a part of it, too? Like, are they in there in the mix? Yeah, my sister, my youngest sister, Karina Gill, who uh-huh. is at her uh, freshman year at Belmont University, she will come in and out and, and do a big solo. And she sounds so good. But none of the other kids um, come out to perform. They'll come out to support. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but Karina and I are um, the two main singers uh, of the well of the kids of yeah. our family. Because I I remember she was with you if I'm not mistaken during the anthem that when the predators were uh, were doing their thing. What was that last oh, year? Or the year? That's before? right. I can't remember. Yeah. It might have been a couple years ago. Yeah, me, Karina, and Dad. Um, yeah. We all did the anthem together, and Dad almost fell on the ice because oh it was slippery, and that was scary. But he didn't, and we made it through, and it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, Goosebumps. You guys nailed it. That was a very touching tribute, you know, for not only our beloved Predators, but for America in general. So good job on that. Well, thank I didn't know, you. <laughs> didn't know he almost fell. That, that's got to be like the worst nightmare, going out on that little red carpet and almost slipping on that wet ice. It is. It is. It's scary. They warn you, you know, be careful. It's slippery. And I've seen videos of people just eating it. Yeah. And um, and he slipped for a second. You probably wouldn't have been able to tell. It was so quick. And, and he recovered because he's such a pro. But it's hard to sing the anthem because of how hard it is to hear. It takes so long for your voice to kind of bounce back at you. To, so it's hard to hear what's going on, but um, everyone's rooting for you. And uh, my dad's greatest advice about the anthem, but just sing the anthem. Don't get fancy with it. Don't make it about yourself. Just sing the song and and you'll nail it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, you see people they 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 go overboard, but yeah, if you if you just sing it in your natural state, it, it's a fitting tribute in itself. And, and and like I said, the three of you, I just remember it was like it was right on the money. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, but like I said, I've I've been listening to you sing for a long time, and I've always thought like I remember one time, and, and I don't remember the date, but like you and him were singing at an award show, and he brought you right up front, and you guys just kind of harmonized together. It was perfect. It was like almost like an Everly Brothers moment, where like you know. Uh, you guys kind of sync in perfectly together. Do you remember what show that was? I mean, this is a couple of years ago. I believe it was a um, a CMA Awards. Yeah, probably. And he he had me come out and sing. Oh, what was the song? I'm not going to be able to remember. <laughs> it might, you know, it might have been a song called Young Man's Town. Yeah. Um, and I I'm, I can't tell you what project it's from. I'm a terrible daughter. I just I can't I, keep I, yeah. all of his career bullet points in my brain there's too yeah. many yeah. but I was thrilled to be invited to to sing with him alongside him like on the front with him not like in the back with the yeah. rest of the band I was terrified just oh, so many nerves um but you know he's He's so encouraging and supportive, and you know he just had to look at me a certain way, and I, and I knew I would be okay. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I, and like I said, it just it, it was an awesome moment, and and that's what I remembered about it because 
you know, I was rooting for you not only as a former classmate, but like, like you said, you weren't in the back. You were, you were right up front. And I was like, that's how you do it right there. That's, that's uh, out front, you know, and then and when it sinks in, you're like, oh, I'm singing in front of what is Dolly in the crowd or Reba or whoever's out there. You know, it's kind of like, it's, what's going on? It's terrifying. It, um, you know, it's so cool though, that you mentioned that it reminded you of the Everly brothers because when my dad and I get to sing together, he will, he call me his little Everly because really? there's some, yeah, because there's just something magical that happens when family members sing together. Uh-huh. And I was so moved by the way he, he, I was so moved by um, the way he called me that. And when I had a baby girl, I named her Everly. That is precious. You're, you're going to make me tear up, you know, it's all in the holiday spirit. And, uh, <laughs> that is awesome. Did you really? I I did. I just thought, uh-huh. you know, she's my little Everly. I heard him say that so many times. I thought, what a beautiful girl name. And yeah, I right. and I said, if I ever have a baby girl, I'm gonna name her Everly. And I and that's what I did. That's awesome. Good for you. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Well, the reason I brought up the Everly, like I said, being a being a studier of music, uh, I've played music, just loving it in general, is that like you said, that's what it reminded me of. And I didn't even think that you know, obviously they were brothers, but like you two together and it might have something in the dna but like when the the voices merge it's like it's like a powerful which is like bam right there socking you right in the face i can only imagine all of you singing together for these christmas shows i bet that's a treat for everybody i hope so um the looks on their faces say that yes they are they are enjoying it and you know it's so neat to hear um you know the youngest member of our family come in and um introduce her voice to the to the mix of our voices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Karina, Dad, and I, I think the only time we've really all three tried to work something up was that anthem we did for the Predators, and I hope we get to do a lot more of it. She has um, this wonderful lower tone to her voice. She, she's more of an alto, you know, and I'm more of a soprano, and you know, the three of us blending together has been one of one of my favorite sounds. And, you know, of course, singing with Amy has it's a, a whole nother set of advantages that that I get to enjoy as far as, you know, touring with her for the last almost 10 years now. Yeah, um, right on. All that experience I've had with her on her show has made me. Um, a better singer than I would have ever been if, if she'd never hired me. Yeah, right on. And plus, I mean, it's 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 really awesome to kind of cut your teeth. I mean, I know you're a veteran now, but like when you're getting started, to have people like that kind of telling you, you know, because obviously they're professional and they, they're not going to like shortchange you, what it takes to do that because there's a lot, you know, put into performing and, and putting your heart and soul out there for an audience. That's why people will come to those shows because they feel it, you know, you, you feel it, you don't just see it, you know, it, it, it's an emotion. So it's got to be, the process in itself got to be something awesome for you as well. Well, I'll tell you the best teachers as far as a performer is concerned are my dad and Amy. Dad has um, such a great sense of humor and a half of his show feels like a stand-up comedy routine. <laughs> like all the stories he tells about his family, his dad, just his experiences, he has such a wonderful delivery, and Amy does as well. It's a different style, but there's 
um, there's passion in what she sings, and you know that she means every word she's saying to you, and yeah. it feels like she's talking to you one on one. It doesn't feel like we're in a theater with a thousand people. It feels like we're hanging out in a living room, and they have been the best teachers as far as how you put on a show, how you talk to everybody, how you structure a show, and, I mean, not to mention the people they've hired that support them. I mean, that's a whole other aspect. Your road oh, yeah. family, if yeah. that ain't working, the show ain't working. Yeah, you're right. And <laughs> they, yeah, and they have built, um, they have built phenomenal teams around them. And, and you know, I, I have to mention, when I started working for Amy, um, the backup singers she had with her, Kim Keys and Jean Miller, they are the reason why I'm even kind of confident as a singer. They've taught me so much, and blending with them, I mean, is the best. It was the best training I could have ever gotten, and I'll just always be grateful That's to those awesome. two. Yeah, it's, it's so cool. Like I said, I uh, I wish I could have like uh, talked to you more back in the day. Like you said, we went to school with like a hundred thousand people, but. So if you would have just talked to me, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I'm, I'm okay. rude. Still, That's okay. you, you mentioned in the very beginning, like you didn't, you didn't say anything. I guess I was. We were totally different people in high school, and I as well. Um, and I wish we would have crossed paths more, and especially with you uh, playing football and me being a football cheerleader. I mean, who knows? Yeah, we, we could have been good buddies. Yeah, and see, and I, pl- I play drums. Still do. I mean, you never know. But um, what was I getting at? That, that, I'm was, sorry. that was nice for you to say that. Was, it's okay. My ADD was kicking in. I was about to bring something. Up. Yeah, I was complimenting you for being so uh, humble in your gifts because you truly have one as well, and you 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 sound so genuine. And that that's what makes for a good podcast interview because you know, like you've got a thousand things going on, playing all these shows. Nice enough to talk to me. I'm just I'm just glad that you're so you know humble in it, and that just makes for for greatness. So kudos to you for being such a nice person. Good job. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. It, it, uh, that warms no, that warms my heart because yeah. high school high school Jenny was still learning how to how to treat people with kindness. You know, sure. it, I mean, it it's hard when you you get beat up because um, uh, kids are mean and they're all trying to find their way, and yeah. so you try on different versions of yourself, and then. Um, just so many lessons learned and um so that means a lot to me to hear you to hear you say that and i and i you know i'm grateful to people like you who like to shine a spotlight you know on you know musicians and and people trying to make a difference and um you know bring people you know the music that they need the stories yeah. that they need to help them know get through whatever they're struggling with and so thank you for um giving us a platform yeah, uh, hey. to reach more listeners pleasure is truly mine because like i said get get a chance to talk to you and, and and have you on here and that was the beauty of podcasting you know i did radio i know you did radio um and had your little thing there for a little bit are, I you, did. are, you, are you podcasting or anything you got anything going if not oh, you should man. be i have definitely been discussing uh podcast ideas with a girlfriend of mine yeah. um you know i am have a new lover um 
videography. It's just a new way, a new way to tell a story. You know, as a performer, I'm always looking for different ways to tell a story. And so I, I like the idea of a podcast, but it's like how many things can I actually fit on? My, I mean, it's not even a plate at this point. Yes, it's like exactly. a platter. Yes. <laughs> I'm a mom of two, and I, um, you know, tour as a background singer. Now I'm helping buddies of mine with small businesses, you know, with video content. It's just like, but. Isn't it so funny? You do so much, and you're still thirsty for more. What else exactly. can I do? <laughs> exactly. Us, us people that have ever had the, uh, you know, hit the entertainment bug, we, we can't get enough of it. we just constantly chasing it, especially when you love music and entertainment. Like, um, you were talking about comedy and everything. Uh, last episode, I had Henry Cho on, and he just adores you guys. Okay, we love him. Oh, I love that man. He's so great. So great. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just talking to him and being the same way and telling us, because, like, what I admire talking with him is, like, he does clean comedy. You know, and he was telling you, you know how hard it is to deliver an hour worth of clean material and have everybody just laughing to the, you know, the top of their lungs? I mean, and it's just, just, like I said, same thing, so cool. And he was telling me he hangs out with you guys, and now hearing you talk, I could totally make sense how that merges. So that's just perfect. Yeah, he's a great family friend. I've always enjoyed what he does i'm so glad that um he was a guest on your show how cool yeah well he yeah he was at zany's and then of course he's a staple at the opry as well so i remember he toured he did a christmas tour with dad and amy one time and at that time i wasn't singing with the band yet i was i was karina's like nanny i was the tour nanny for karina and um i just i fell in love with his material and you're right it is hard yeah. It is hard to be clean. Um, I think that's why him and Dad are—they <laughs> probably get along so well because <laughs> they could be funny without throwing f bombs all over the place. Yeah, and it's just—it's a certain thing to it. Like you said, uh, hitting a certain age, you just like we don't need that anymore. We're done with that. Let's just let's just talk about subject stuff and keep it, you know, where everybody can enjoy it. So yeah, I'm with you. You know what the best part is about getting older, and I don't feel old, but I do yeah. feel the that a big chunk of time has passed and that feeling of not caring so much is my favorite part of being in my thirties. And I'm truly just focused on what I love and I'm not trying to please so many people all the time. Like I did in my twenties and it's so freeing and I'm so much happier and I just think everyone, I think everyone should just care less. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you because it's the same thing. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, in your 20s or whatever, you're worried, oh, is this person going to like me now? It's like, okay, I'm presenting my authentic self. You either grab onto the train and let's go for a ride or, you know, I'll stop you at this station. You get on another one. Exactly. (laughs) Everybody should just, you know, get along, be happy and be you know be about your way but yeah i'm with you that is the best part about the 30s is the wisdom and like the the stuff that like sticks in your brain versus just bouncing out of it absolutely and there's still so much you know amy always said because her mother told her a woman's prime is 35 to 45 and i'm like hey i'll take it i'll take it i'm I'm right right there here i come prime That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I had something else I was going to ask you. Like I said, I'm going to hop a little bit because I know you're limited good, good. with your time. Um, so I wanted to get back to this video work because I actually watched some of your stuff on your Facebook. This is really groovy stuff. This isn't like amateur hour. 
you've taken a lot of uh, time and effort into it. So are you doing videos like for like bands or, or what's your end game? Do you want to shoot weddings? And I'm just shooting off the hip here. Like what is the end goal with this videography stuff? Okay. So this videography thing is just, I'm realizing it is not out of nowhere. Ever since I was a kid, I've had whatever camcorder was of the time, I had it. Yeah. And I would direct my friends around and like, what's this? You know, I've been a little director and just didn't even know it um, this whole time. And with the explosion of social media and the capabilities of our cell phones, um, I would start um, messing around with videos and my family just, saw the passion I had for it and bought me uh, a really nice camera this year for my birthday. Mm -hmm. And I have just like, I don't know, just like gone off the deep end with it. And my content, it feels all over the place because I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I feel like I'm playing catch up a little bit. So sure, I yeah. have shot, I have shot acoustic videos for artists. I just shot a music video for a pop artist. I have done commercials for small businesses, you know, just like random stuff of my kids doing what we do every day. Um, you know, so my content is all over the place just because I got to figure out, I got to figure out what I'm doing. I don't want to set my camera on auto and just hope for the best. I really want to yeah. learn the technical and now, oh Lord, the abyss that you can go into as far as gear is concerned. Oh, um, I can like nerd out on YouTube for hours researching <laughs> just lenses. Yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. It's so much fun. I just I don't know why I love it so much. It it gives me it gives me the same kind of energy that performing does. You know, it's just a different way to be creative. Yeah. And everybody wants content now, and so I feel like, well, you know, there's definitely a market out there, and if I can churn something out that's affordable and quick, I mean, why not? Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and and that's exactly what I was thinking when I was talking with you. People are wanting content, and they're wanting stuff like what you're providing, and, you know, why not go for it? And the next thing I was thinking is Nashville Film Festival. You need to, you need to play something <gasps> in that. Start out with a short film and then go from there. See, wouldn't that be so much fun? If I got my hands on a story, that's yeah. the one thing that I um, I have one project I would like to do. Um, I would love um, I would love to document um, the stories behind the guitar collection of my dad's. Oh my um, god. That's a that's an idea I've had in the back of my mind for a long time, but I don't want to go into it as an amateur. I want to go into it knowing more about audio because I, I want to capture it properly. I don't want to take all this footage and then get in my editing software and be like, oh, my gosh, you know, I shot this all wrong. It sounds like crap. So um, I need to be a little more seasoned before because that matters. That project really yeah. matters to me. And if I came across... A, a script of some kind, and somebody's like, hey, do you think we could pull this off? Oh, I would be so in. That would be the most fun ever. Yeah. So much fun. But thank you for the suggestion. I might just. Yeah. Like I said, like I said, with, with, with the kind of, uh, you know, enthusiasm you have, you probably start off with, like I said, a short film and then go from there, like that one you're talking about with your dad, which everybody and their mom would want to watch. But, like, if you did something, because, you know, they do the short ones, and then when you get your first award for best best picture, best in show, you're hooked. <laughs> you're in there. 
over. Oh my gosh, I'm salivating just yeah. thinking about it. <laughs> okay, um, let's uh, let's go ahead. I, I got one more for you. I know you got some stuff to do. I wanted to dip into songwriting because I see you do, you know, songwriter evenings and you you promote them and everything and are a big advocate for them. Uh, what's your songwriting process? Do you, uh, I mean, how do you get inspiration? Do you record your own songs? Do you pitch songs? Uh, do you got anything going in that genre? My songwriting, my songwriting inspiration is all over the place. Yeah. Um, I struggle the most with songwriting. Probably, it's probably my perfectionism. Like a song is never, I never feel like it's good enough. The last song I completed that I love is a song called Mama Needs a Lullaby. And it's the most probably authentic um, song I've ever tried to write about myself. And it, it it's so real and so good. And I say good because people react to it every time I play live. Women come up to me and go, oh, my God, that mama song. I just cried. I just cried. You know, yeah. Even men will come up to me and be like, "Oh, my daughter just had a baby, and just I'm thinking about that, that song just made me cry thinking about her." And it's you know the not so um, wonderful side of uh, being a new parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how hard it is that first year, and you're just like, "What is all this?" It's the song <laughs> is about the song is about that transition, and um, you know. I don't really have a a set process. Sometimes some somebody will just say something, and it just makes you go, "Huh?" And you gotta write it down. You know. Yeah. Sometimes you walk into a co-write with no idea, and you're just praying somebody else in the room has started something or has some idea that you can just ride the coattail of. And um, it's it's all over the place, but you know, what matters is finding the people that you have musical chemistry with. There's Absolutely. nothing worse than sitting in a writing room. and You just know there's no chemistry. It's painful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like being on a speed date and stuck at the table for a few more minutes. You're like, Oh my gosh, can we move on? Yeah, it's, it's just painful. And everyone yeah. in Nashville who, you know, who's ever tried to write a song has definitely experienced that. And I think also the expectation that I put on myself um, has a lot to do with my struggle with songwriting because we are a songwriting town. You know, my husband, who is the creative, um, the vice president of creative at Sony ATV, he works with the best songwriters in the world. And I I hear these songs that get written every day. And it's just like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to compete with that? You know, it's, um, it's, Nashville's got some talent here. And just that thought of like, oh, do I stack up? That's the dialogue I tell myself, which um, I'm probably making the process harder than it needs to be. But I just, I'm an artist and we beat ourselves up. I don't know. Exactly, because like you said, (laughs) yeah, there's so much talent in songwriting. Like, you can even go to Kimbrose and Franklin and hear a songwriter that's up and coming. You're like, man, when the right person latches on to he or she, it's over. They've got it, you know, and it's just like it's just an infiltration of one right after the other. Even in little small venues, everywhere you go, somebody's bared their heart and soul, and it's just waiting to be heard. And that's the beauty of living here my whole life. You, You never cease to get surprised with somebody's songwriting capability. I I totally agree, and I think what makes it work versus what doesn't work 
is, like you said, those writers who are writing down something real. You know, you can tell when it's authentic and when it isn't. There are people who have the gift, who have the gift of writing for radio, and that is wonderful. Um, I don't have I don't have that gift, um, but I do know when I write something that's real, the audience can tell, and I, I see a big difference in the in the reactions of my yeah. songs. And that's what that's what makes it worthwhile is, is is touching that audience. And like I said, you were talking about you're recording a slew of new stuff that's uh, to be determined on the date, but we're, we'll be definitely be excited for that. Oh, and, thanks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I had to listen to this lullaby song now. I haven't got to see yet, but you've got me intrigued. Having two daughters myself. Um, I How old to, are your babies? Oh, my gosh, too old. I started young. I have a 19-year-old, if you can believe that. How is that possible? Exactly. Oh my I, yeah, you, you talk about, oh, my gosh, I was a baby with a baby. But, you know, unfortunately oh, made a couple of left turns. But she turned out great, and she's sweet, and, and she's good to people. and. Way more than I think I deserve, but I mean, you know. Oh. <laughs> uh, then, then I have a 15-year-old. Of course, she's a she's a freshman and, and starting to really enjoy the boys. And there's that. And, uh, oh. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we live and learn. Uh, but, well, when uh, my baby girl is older and starts to like boys, I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna beg for your help. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, all, all I all I do is is uh you know just the whole. Uh, you know, just treat her right, and, and you try to talk to them like adult. Don't, don't hurt them. You know, it's just it's it's horrible because I go back, like you said, go back to Franklin and think how I felt. And I'm like, oh man, I was a kid once, and I did this, and this this is a kid in front of me, and like, is this payback time? Like, what am I doing here? It's just the process is going to be insane. And you have a son and daughter. I do. I have a my son is five, and my daughter is almost two. And um, after that, we were like, well, it's the American dream. I think we should stop here and not outnumber ourselves. Yeah, you got the boy and girl. That's cool. At least you'll have an older brother. So you'll have that going for you, uh, you know, the protection factor. Let's um, – okay, sorry. I was looking at the paper. Let's let's plug – you're doing the Christmas stuff, but let's plug this show at 3rd and Lindsley. It's just you by yourself. This is, this is big. I'm excited about this. Tell me about it. Oh, man, I love playing this club so much. Ron Bryce, who owns Third and Lindsley, has supported me my entire career. Um, back when I was in college and putting together these um, random bands with random songs, I wasn't even writing songs yet, but I wanted to perform. Um, and and he let me come in there with whatever I had going and would let me play. And so I am so excited to return to Third and Lindsley. I'll be there January 8th. Nice. And uh, I believe we're going to get started around 7 o'clock. And I've hired a full band. It's the same band that I've used for, like, the last several shows that I've done. I feel um, I feel like this group of musicians, they, uh, I don't know, we've got something together. I love the way they play my songs, which are mostly original now. Uh, we slipped um, in some covers, yeah. um some well-known things and you know we'll play about an hour i'm gonna just I, I talk a lot i i don't know if i inherited this human thing from my dad but people keep try, telling me i'm funny and um, i try to i try to get a laugh in there i just want everyone to relax and have and have a good time i'm not trying to impress anybody anymore i'm just trying to i'm just trying to have fun and i want everyone to 
to go there with me. And yeah. we always have a great time. So if if you're in town January 8th, come see us at 3rd Leslie. Absolutely. We want you to be there. And I will vouch for you that the apple didn't far, fall, uh, fall far from the tree with talent. Uh, you you're fantastic, and uh, you know seeing you firsthand, and it'll be a delight for anybody that would come see you. Uh, they'd be in for a treat. So January eighth, get on your whatever and look it up and get you some tickets. Oh my gosh! Thanks, Josh. Yes. Special thanks and gratitude to this week's guests, Webb Wilder, Mike Fleming, and Jenny Gill, co-host Sam Madewell. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my little podcast. I appreciate it. If you know anybody you think would make a great guest, have them hit me up at joshbelcher at hotmail.com. You remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. Adios, amigos and amigas.